Welcome to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. As a community of faith, we are passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus. As always, we would love to have you join us for a Sunday service sometime here soon in Vancouver. You can find directions, more info, and more sermons on our website at citybaptist.ca. What is the church supposed to look like? You're five years in, and if you've visited churches and maybe on television or on the internet, you've looked, there is a whole variety of churches. There are churches that believe all kinds of things. Uh, what is the church, according to Scripture, supposed to look like? If you will, the title of the message this morning, I guess, could be The Original Recipe. And, and we're going to look at what's, what was God's original recipe for the church. Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola has been the most popular uh, soda. You guys call it pop? Is that what we call it here in Canada? Pop? Is that right? The most popular pop brand uh, around the world for decades. In fact, in the U.S., I'm not sure about around the world, uh, Coke is number one and Diet Coke is number two. And uh, the most popular soda brand around the world. Let me just see Coke versus Pepsi. How many Coke fans? Your Coke? How many Pepsi? How many Dr. Pepper? No? All right. Sprite, we can keep going. The, the brand of Coke is recognized, this is a crazy statistic, we're told by 94% of the world's population. And that's not bad for a, a, a business that's only 150 years old. 94% of the world's population recognizes that brand. They know what a Coke is. It was the first soft drink in outer space consumed by members of the Space Shuttle Challenger. Much of its, uh, m- much of its uh, popularity can be traced, I don't know if that's a correct thing, Challenger, because Challenger didn't make it to outer space. Yeah. Must have been a different, uh, I just looked at my notes, I must have typed it wrong. Maybe that's a false fact, I don't know, you can Google it, I'm not sure. I just read an article this week that says 38% of millennials fact check their pastor while he's yeah. preaching, so somebody can raise their hand and tell me what's, the, what's going on here. I see a good number of millennials out there, so if you want to fact check me this morning. Much of Coke's you don't have to do it after church, all right? Don't, don't go fact check the Coke fact right now. Much of Coke's, um, uh, the, the, the success can be traced back to its secretive original recipe. The story of this recipe is an interesting one. Coke was invented by a pharmacist, John Pemberton, in 1886 in a drugstore in Columbus, Georgia, in, this, in the southern part of the United States. Pemberton is known to have shared his original formula with at least four people before his death only a couple of years later. He died in 1888. Three years after that, in 1891, Asa Candler purchased the rights to the formula from Pemberton's estate. He founded the Coca-Cola Company and instituted the shroud of secrecy that has since enveloped the formula. He also, Candler did, after he bought the recipe, he made some changes to the recipe so that anybody that said they had the original recipe from Pemberton no longer had the right recipe. And most say that the changes he made at that time made it a little bit better tasting beverage. And so Candler, after 1891, is the one that did that. And in 1919, about 30 years later, a man by the name of Ernest Woodruff led a group of investors in purchasing the company Coca-Cola from Candler and his family. I'm sure Candler's great-great-grandkids wish that transaction never took place at this point. As collateral for the acquisition loan, Woodruff placed the only written copy of the formula in a vault at the lending bank in New York. 
And so he said, you cannot have, I will not take this, this formula until I've paid the loan off to purchase Coca-Cola. It stayed there. In 1925, he paid the loan off. At that point, um, he moved it to the Trust Company Bank in Atlanta, where the Coca-Cola headquarters are, Atlanta, Georgia. And on December 8th, 2011, the company placed it in a vault on the grounds of the world of Coca-Cola in Atlanta, where it remains. This is interesting. According to the company, only two employees are privy to the complete formula at any given time. There are two people on earth right now, according to the company, that know the, there are others that know pieces of it, but they know the, the complete formula. And those two people are not permitted to ever travel together. <laughs> when one dies, the other must choose a successor within the company and impart the secret to that person. The identity of the two employees in possession of the secret is itself a secret. Much of Coca-Cola's success can be traced back to their faithful adherence to their recipe that has kept the product what it should be for many decades. And if you like Coke, if you're one of those Coke, if someone put a glass in front of you of Coke and maybe Pepsi, you would know the difference. There's something about the... Now, the others are close. They resemble it. But there's something different about that recipe. If you today uh, were to, to ask somebody, hey, could you run down to Superstore and, uh, and grab me a pop, bring me back a Coke, and they brought you back this. Go ahead and put that picture up. They brought you back. <laughs> You'd be a little bit disappointed, right? Now, he brought me back a pop, but he didn't bring me a Coke. There's a difference. In, in the States, at Walmart, I like Dr. Pepper. They, they sell this, this drink called Dr. Thunder. Yeah. Nowhere close. It's not the same. Uh, if you like Mountain Dew, they have one they call Mountain Lightning. I don't know where they come up with these, these names, but there's something different about the recipe, right? And, and why do I share that history on Coca-Cola and soft drinks? Because like that from, from Superstore or one of those others, uh, be, just like those things, we see many churches that stray from the original recipe for what Christ intended for the church. And here's what's going to happen in the next season of ministry. There's, and we'll, we'll hit on it a little bit this morning. There is going to be a tendency to stray from your core values, what kind of built it the first five years, to try to do some things that might be good, but might stray from the original recipe. Yeah. And we, we, there are many in church work, there are many knockoffs, if you will, that resemble the original, but everybody knows something's missing. It's not quite the same. And, and so this morning, we're going to look at the original recipe for the church. Have you ever wondered, how could we have so many different types of churches with so many different beliefs and so many different purposes and so many different practices? Is there a recipe anywhere that tells us what the church is supposed to believe? And by the way, the church is me and you. The church is not the building. We don't go to church. We gather as a church. If, if, if the tap dance studio t tomorrow says you can never meet here again, City Baptist Church still exists because you are City Baptist Church. And so I, I even say the same thing sometimes. Oh, I'm going to church. I'm taking my family to church. That's really not, not the right terminology. We don't go to church. We go to a building. And I don't mind saying it's a church building, but we gather as the church. We are, the Bible says, the church, the, the people. And, and, and is there a guidebook, a recipe that tells us what the church is supposed to look like and how it's supposed to function? If there's not, then I get to decide what the soda tastes like. I get to decide, oh, I want to try to make Coke at home today. Okay, I'll put a little sugar in and a little corn syrup and a little, I don't even know, carbonated water. I don't know what else goes into soda. And, and I, I get to decide, well, I think that's what Coke should taste like. No, there's a recipe. 
And that's what's happened in, in Christendom and in, in religious circles is we've taken some things. Well, I know some of the ingredients. I know you're supposed to have some spiritual teaching and maybe you sing some songs. And, and, and we try to make our own version of what we think maybe the church is supposed to look like. But here's the good news. God gave us the original recipe. He gave, we're going to look at it today in the book of Acts in chapter number one by way of introduction. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to preach to you the way that I would preach to my church. I'm going to give you a little bit. It'll start a little bit more of a, just some context, some background to understand the book we're reading. I'm a big believer that as we read the Bible, we should know who's writing, uh, what do they, who are they writing to? What are they writing about? Because if not, it's just words on a page. You read a, you read an email differently than you read a history book. You read a text message differently than you do a, a dictionary. And, and you read, you, you'll read something that's maybe a biography different than you will a technical manual. All of those, and the Bible is full of all different types of books. Some are narratives, almost biographies, if you will. Some are letters. Some are history books. They're all different. So understanding where we're, what we're reading changes the complete uh, uh, understanding and, uh, and comprehension and application of that passage. So by way of introduction, and then I'll jump into the message, and I'll try not to preach too long this morning. Um, I'll, I'll talk fast. You listen fast. The book of Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. Some people have called it the fifth gospel. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The way, if you're maybe newer to church or, or, or newer to understanding God's word, the New Testament has 27 books. The first four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call the gospels. Those four books cover the narrative of when Jesus Christ walked on this earth, his earthly life and ministry. It covers about 30 years of history. About 30 years, Jesus' life and ministry, 30 years, he's 33 on this earth. The next book, the book of Acts, covers the next 30 years. And so, and then the rest of the New Testament, until you get to Revelation, they're all letters. They're letters that were written to churches. They're letters that were written to pastors. They're letters that were written to individuals. They're just letters. So you read these four narrative accounts when Jesus was on earth, 30 years. Then you read these four, uh, this one book, Acts, what we're in today, that is 30 years of what happened once Jesus left and what his followers did after he went back to heaven for the next 30 years. And what they did was they established the church. It's the early history of the church. And then the rest of the New Testament is just letters to some of those believers and churches found in this book until you get to the last book, Revelation, which talks about what's coming and it's prophecy. And, uh, and so, like the Old Testament, when you read the Old Testament, we're covering thousands of years. The New Testament, the whole thing covers about 60 years. Understanding that changes the way that you read it. And the, the four Gospels, that's the work Christ did while he was on earth. Acts, what we're going to read this morning, is the work that Christ did after he left earth. The gospel shows us the life of Christ. Acts, the gospels, I should say, show us the life of Christ. Acts shows us the life of the church. Acts is the sequel to Luke's gospel. Again, if you're new to church, you're kind of like, what is this? It's like a college class. I just want to give us a little background and I'll get into some application that I think will be helpful for all of us. But Acts is the sequel to Luke's gospel. Luke is the one. Luke was a medical doctor. By the way, a great reminder, well, I'm not a pastor. I don't know if, if God can really use me. I, I don't know if I'm really supposed to serve God. Luke was a medical doctor. 
very possibly a wealthy man, that God used his talent, his, his education, his experience for the glory of God for all eternity. And God wants to use your resources, whether it's your, your, your education, your experience, your financial resources, God can use those things for his glory. And Luke was a faithful traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. Interesting little fact, by word count, Luke actually wrote more of the New Testament than Paul did. Paul wrote a lot more books, but when you take Luke and Acts, um, and it's a sequel. And sometimes sequels are good, and sometimes they aren't. Uh, our family, we recently, we, you have five kids, 17 and under. You don't watch a whole lot of adult, you know, like, like normal movies. You watch a lot of cartoons and uh, anything, you know, that's out by Pixar. Toy Story. My kids love Toy Story. Well, what has Toy Story done? They have one, two, three, and then just this year they came out with Toy Story 4, a sequel. And, and you understand... Toy Story 4 better if you've watched some of the other ones because you know the characters, you know what's happening. Well, that's when you're reading Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, but John is in the middle there, but Luke and Acts, you get to the end of that book of Luke, it runs right into Acts that the story, it's a seamless transition there. As you're reading Luke, you go into Acts. Luke 24 ends with Jesus ascending up into heaven and the promise of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1 starts with the arriving of the Spirit and the work that takes place from there. And again, this book probably written somewhere around 80, 60, about 30 years after Jesus was crucified and ascended back to heaven. This book is a reminder of the amazing things that can happen in a short period of time. The amazing impact in lives over the course of about 30 years, basically a generation. I told our church, I went there four years ago, and I don't know what God will do, but my prayer is that he'll let me stay there for about 30 years. That would take me somewhere to my mid to late 60s. And, and, uh, and, and why? I believe that we could see a great thing happen in raising up another generation. And I believe the same is true of the history of this. And Acts shows us the amazing things that can happen in a relatively short period of time. To illustrate that, let me show you a picture of my family in 2000. That's in 2000. That's, that's the Thompson family. That's some 90s hair right there, isn't it? My wife's got going on, and at least I had hair back there. And uh, I don't have quite as much hair as I did. But that's the family in 2000. And there we are with the cake and, and all of that. Now let's go a decade later, 2010. There is the family. And I've got Ashlyn, Titus, TJ. Somewhere just a few years after that would have been the first time that you and I met and we preached in the, in greater. And a lot happened in 10 years in that family. Uh, my wife stayed beautiful and I'm starting to lose some of that hair and things are going on. That's on the streets of Germany right there, Cobblestone Road. And we have, now all three of those kids will show um, this year a, a family photo. All three of those kids are now in secondary. And you can see the little guy with the white sweatshirt is now Actually, since Easter, he's now taller than his mom. And uh, the little girl that was just a cute little thing is, thinks she wants to graduate and leave home in six months. You pray with me that she doesn't do that. We've added two more kids. Life's very different in the matter of two decades. A lot can happen in our families, in our churches. And, just to, and you, know, you know how you get from 2000 to 2019? It's, there's, there wasn't any day where we woke up. Now, each time a child was born, that was kind of a big thing. But there wasn't a day where we woke up and said, man, our lives are so different today. It was just daily growth. Yeah. Little by little, adding one person to the family, that person growing, that person maturing, some hospital visits, some tears, some laughs, some victories, some defeats. And now our family looks very, very different. Less than 20 years later, 
Why? With just daily investment, daily growth, daily meals. That's what happens in a church. Daily, weekly services, preaching, all of those things. And, and so we see what can happen in a, a lot can happen in 30 years. Uh, I, I want us to see, and I'll finish up this introduction so we can jump into the message. But Acts, as the name implies, is a book of action. Uh, it's, it's a lot is happening. In John in chapter number 14, Jesus promised his disciples that they would do greater works than he did. Isn't that an amazing verse? Amen. Jesus told his followers, you're going to do greater works than I've done. We're going to do greater works than Jesus did? That's what he said. Acts is the fulfillment of that. Acts shows us that what he said was true. And I love this about the book of Acts. I'm not, I'll, I'll say that for the end, I'll, uh, spoiler alert. I'll say uh, something about the book of Acts. But Acts goes between the Gospels and the letters. It's a bridge between the Gospels and the epistles or the letters. So all of that by introduction, just so we understand what we're reading, let's go to Acts in chapter number one. We're going to look this morning at the first 11 verses. And uh, when I say the original recipe of Acts, for each of those points that I give you, you can replace the the word acts with the church because acts is a history of the church and when you think of the church it's you and it's me it's us we're not talking about some other group of people back 2,000 years ago we're talking about these these points applying to us today what is the recipe for the church what's it supposed to look like you're five years in one we can take a checklist how are we doing Two, we can get a reset of making sure this is how we need to move forward. Number one, I want you to see the person of Acts. It's Jesus. Chapter number one, beginning in verse number one, the Bible says, The former treaties, that just means the last letter, have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Luke is, is referencing here the Gospel of Luke. He said, Theophilus, you remember I, I wrote that other book, and you can go back to Luke in chapter number one. You'll see where Luke addresses that. He says, remember I wrote that other book? That book was all about what Jesus began to do and teach. The book of Luke was all about Jesus, the beginning, what he began to do and teach. Notice what it says in verse number two. Until the day in which he was taken up. That's where the book of Luke ends. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse three, to whom also the disciples, he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The beginning here, he says, now this book is a continuation of what I, I wrote about what Jesus began to do. And he gave the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to write about Theophilus. I'm going to write what happened the last 30 years. And the interesting thing, every verse, the first 11 verses of Acts, as it's given the history of the early church, every verse references Jesus. Paul said it this way, talking about the church, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Colossians 1.18. Jesus in the church doesn't want to have prominence. He wants preeminence. Prominence means he has a, a good place. Preeminence means he has first place. What in the Old Testament, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Paul said it this way. I determined uh, in, in Corinthians, he said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I'm here on your five year anniversary. I believe what has happened for the last five years is you have sought to make much of Jesus. I heard it in the song service today. You saw you started singing Jesus Messiah. You ended singing my Jesus. I love thee and everywhere in between. What is that? The song service. We're trying to make much of Jesus and not a whole lot about ourselves, but much of 
of Jesus. And Paul reminded the church that, that Jesus was supposed to have first place. Here, Luke reminds the church that this is why they had such great success, that the focus was all about Jesus, the person of Acts. The church does not exist. It's not about you and it's not about me. This isn't Pastor Paul's church. This isn't your church. This is the church that Jesus died for. And we need to remember that because a lot of times after a church, we've been at it for a little while, we start to make it about us. Well, I like that kind of music and that's my seat. Nobody sits in that one. And and I want this kind of program and they better do this for my kid or I'm going to go somewhere else. And we start, we become, instead of being witnesses, instead of an outward focus, we begin to become consumers. And I doubt, because, because church plants can afford to do this, I doubt that's the problem here right now in, in too big of a way. But as the church continues to fill up, and as God gives you, and He will, I believe, as God gives you a larger place to meet, the Bible says you're faithful over a little, He'll, make your, he'll, he'll, he'll give you more. Uh, that's a biblical principle. I believe God's going to open doors in the coming months and years for that next step. And as you do that, and all of a sudden the church gets a little bigger and maybe a little more uh, you know, comfortable and, and financially there's, there's, there's a little more margin. Right now everything's a shoestring and that's how it's been for five years and we're just trying to make ends meet and we're trying to do these things. All, right now, all you, you, you have to keep it to the bare bones, but as churches get a little more established, the danger is to make it about you and to make it about me. My preferences, my traditions, my desires, how's, how are my needs being met? The church doesn't exist. Now, the church, through the church, Jesus does meet our needs, but the church doesn't exist to meet your needs and meet my needs. The church exists to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. I just want to challenge you on this five-year anniversary. Don't forget, I know that the, the, the slide there says the person of Acts because that's what it is, but replace Acts with the church and replace the church with City Baptist Church. The person of City Baptist Church needs to stay Jesus. In, in his preaching, it needs to be Jesus. And in the singing, it needs to be Jesus. And in the programs, it needs to be Jesus. We, we are to live so that Christ will be seen and exalted in everything that we do. The first 11 verses here, Luke refers to Jesus. And we see it just in the first three we read. He said, uh, it was all about what Jesus, verse number one. Verse number two, until the day in which, talk to me church, until the day in which, what? He was taken up. You see it there? After that, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandment of the apostles whom He had chosen. Jesus, to whom also He showed Himself alive. Jesus, after His passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's about Jesus' words and it's about Jesus' works and it's about what Jesus did and, and it's about Jesus' commands. The church. This is a history of the church. This is the recipe for the church. The church church exists to lift up Jesus. And that sounds so simple. And that sounds so obvious. And yet there are so many churches that have gotten distracted from that purpose. They're building a kingdom. They're, they're, they're lifting up a man's name. They're holding on to a, a personal set of things they like. They're doing what feels good and they've got the group of power brokers and Jesus has taken a back seat in their church. Number two, I want you to see in verse number four, I want you to see the power of Acts, the Holy Spirit. Verse number four, 
and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the, what does it say, church, the next two words? With the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. Jesus said, I told you, remember John in chapter number 14, I believe it is. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he says, I'm going to send a comforter. Jesus had told them, there's coming a day that I'm leaving. And that was a very scary day. And that's the day they're in. Jesus has only been, been, been dead like a little over a month here. Everything they knew was three years of following Jesus. Now he's gone. Put yourself in their place. Put yourself in their shoes. And now it's like, what do we do? And it's interesting to me, Pastor Paul, the book of Acts. It's a book of action. You know what the first action was? Wait. <laughs> we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna launch this, this, this globally, uh, global reaching, uh, uh, far reaching movement of Christianity. How are we going to do it? Well, we got to get a marketing team together and we got to work on our social media strategy and we got to get our fi financing together. We got to put our team together. You know what Jesus said? Go back to Jerusalem and sit down. And by the way, sometimes when God wants to prepare us to do great works, the first thing he has us do is learn to wait. And that's frustrating. It's fearful. What's happening? Your church undoubtedly has been at times, and in some ways you're in a season like that. You're praying about what's next. God, would you open some doors? And you're in a waiting period. You're not the first ones. The early history of the church, that's the first thing they did. There's a group of believers, about 120 of them, a church about like how many will be at City Baptist today, somewhere around there. And the first thing Jesus told them to do was go wait. Go sit there in Jerusalem. Don't do anything. Why? Because he said, you cannot do the church the way it's supposed to be done. You cannot, you cannot be Christians the, the, the way I planned in your own power. In your own strength. You're going to, do not go out there and try to do my work until the Spirit comes and empowers you. Until you're working in my strength and not in your strength. Don't try to manipulate this thing in your own wisdom. Wait on me. Don't try to make it work. Well, if we just get the right signs and we get the right social media presence and, and we do some Facebook advertising. I'm not against any of those things. Then our church, what's the secret to our, our church making a bigger impact? The secret is to it making a biblical impact is God working through us because none of us is strong enough. None of us has the power to change a life. None of us has a power to forgive a sin. Only God can, and we need to wait on Him. And Jesus told His disciples, without me, you can do nothing. Now He's gone. Now what? He says, don't go do anything until the Spirit comes. I will send Him. And that's the Trinity we believe, and I won't get too deep into it, but God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're, they're co-equal members of our triune God. The Holy Spirit in our lives comforts. The Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit empowers. The Holy Spirit illuminates truth as we read the Word. And may I just say this again, a reminder in my life, in the church the Lord's let me serve in, and the tendency in your life and in this church, we do far too much, far too often in our own power. You don't know what's next? Go to the Lord. God, would you show us what's next? Yeah. 
God, would you give us, would you open the door? God, would you make a way? Would you teach us what you want us to do? The power of the church is not found in our programs. The power of the church is not found in our facilities. The power in the church is not found in my carefully crafted or Pastor Paul's carefully crafted speeches every week. The power of the church is found in the Spirit of God. And I want to tell this church, continue to follow Him, continue to lift Him up, continue to seek Him, continue to pray, and and don't... let's have a big meeting and let's all figure. And I'm not saying God doesn't give people insight and wisdom and we can't meet together and have ideas, but make sure that we don't get our whole plan. And then we say, Oh God, would you bless this plan? No, God, we need a plan. Would you guide us? God, we're going to have church again this Sunday. And there are, I met six, seven, eight, nine, at least 10 that I've met people in this church for the very first time. I don't know what your needs are. I don't know who invited you. I don't know why you're here. I don't know what you're facing in your life. But here's the reality. Nothing that I can do will meet those needs. We need the power of God to work through his word. He, he changed my life. I wasn't born into a Christian home. I was raised by a single mom. My mom and dad were never married. I was born out of wedlock, never went to church growing up. But at the age of nine, one of my mom's co-workers invited her to come to a church in Northern California. And it was on that day, for the first time in my whole life, I didn't have a Bible at home. First time in my whole life, I heard the message of the gospel for the first time. And my mom at that time, before it was legal and before it was just considered nothing, she was, she, she was involved in marijuana. I remember alcohol. I remember parties. She was a good mom, but just... 20, you know, she had me when she was 22. She was a 28-year-old young lady and just living the way that, that people live. And we went for the very first time, and I heard a man who was a little younger than me at the time preach from the book of John, and he preached, Marvel not that I say unto you, ye must be born again. And there was something about that service I'd never experienced before. There was something about that message I'd never heard before. And on that day, my life was forever changed because it was on that day that I made a decision to place my faith and trust in Christ alone. Being born again, what does that mean? Not physically born, but a spiritual birth in my life. And that happened on that day. Why did that happen? I believe because there was a pastor and there was a church and there was a group of believers that understood the power to change a life was not in our programs, but it was in the Word of God, the Holy Spirit coming. And and, uh, fast forward a few years later, I would end up marrying that pastor's oldest daughter. And he is now today my father-in-law. And the man who preached the Bible for the very first time in my life and that my life was eternally changed, I, I ended up uh, marrying his daughter and, 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 and then served with him for 15 years in that same church before the Lord called us to Southern California. But what, what is the power of the church? Church, don't lose sight because you've had a modicum of success because there's a lot more people here than there was on this day five years ago. And you said on that week, is anybody going to show up? And, 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 and now you know, you know what? If we don't pray at all, there's going to be a good number of people here next Sunday. And if we don't really put a lot of work or energy and we think we can and we can do it on our own for a while, but we won't make any lasting change. The Bible says it this way, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. We don't need to manipulate or manufacture God's power. We need to be filled with the spirit. Church, as you move into this next season of ministry, I just want to remind you, we need without the spirit of God, you are bound to fail miserably or succeed even more miserably. You know, sometimes you can do some things in your own strength, but there's no lasting fulfillment there. Number three, you've listened well. Let's continue on and and try to wrap this up. Verse number six. 
What is the priority of Acts or the priority of the church? It's the gospel. Notice verse number six. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Isn't that an interesting verse? Jesus has died. He was crucified. He was buried. He rose again. Before he ascended back into heaven, the Bible says for 40 days, he went around interacting with his disciples and with others. He showed himself alive to hundreds of people. And here's their question. Those that had walked step by step, ate every meal of Jesus for three full years, you would think they would understand the priority of, of the Christian life. And, and you know what they asked them? They said, okay, now, now you died. You were buried. You rose again. That was amazing, by the way. I don't know how you did that, but that was incredible. <laughs> and, and is it now? Here's what they asked. Is it now you're going to become that political ruler? Is it, is it now that you're going to restore your kingdom? You're going to come and bring the... That's what they were all looking for. That's why today the Orthodox Jews are still looking for a Messiah. They don't believe that Messiah has come. Why? Because they were looking for a, a political ruler. Jesus came not as a, a political king. He came as a spiritual king. And that's not what they were looking for. Yeah. And even the disciples didn't understand. Right before he dies, you know, James and John's mom comes and says, Hey, Basically, you know, in our country, we would say, when, 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 when you become president, Jesus, would you appoint my sons to be the, your right-hand cabinet men, like vice presidents? And Jesus is like, what are you talking about? That's not why I came. But the disciples here had misplaced priorities. They didn't understand the purpose of being Christ followers. Is it now? Now, now is the political thing going to happen? Notice verse number 7. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. You've got your eyes focused on the wrong things. Would you read verse number 8 aloud with me if you have your Bibles right there? Let's read Acts 1, verse 8 aloud. Ready? Begin. But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Jesus, are you going to fix everything politically? Are you going to set up your kingdom in Jerusalem? Are you going to bring that political peace? And you know what Jesus says to them? That's none of your business when that happens or how that happens. Get back to your purpose. Don't worry about what the, the power the Father has. He's going to give you power. The Holy Spirit's going to empower you. And here's your priority. Go be witnesses of me. What's a witness? A witness is someone that has seen or experienced something and it tells someone else what they have seen or experienced. Right. If there were a car accident out in front of here, God forbid, and you were a witness, the police came, what would, I'm guessing they would take a witness statement. And you would tell that person what you saw or experienced. That's what Jesus said. Here's your priority. Go tell everybody. You, you were with me for three years. I changed your life. Go tell everybody you can what you've seen and experienced. Don't worry about politics. Don't worry about power. Don't worry about position. Don't worry about manipulating. Don't worry about, hey, am I gonna, is it going to be a comfortable life? Are we going to be the really popular ones because we're Christians? Don't worry about any of that. Here's your priority, whether the world hates you, whether the world loves you. Your priority is the gospel. Amen. The word gospel simply means good news. It's, it's the good, and the gospel, the definition biblically of the gospel is that Jesus died, he was buried, and three days later he rose again. That's the good news. 
You have a Savior. That's the good news. Jesus loved you. God loved you so much, He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you. That's the good news. And the good news is that He didn't stay dead. They buried Him. He, he had no sin. He knew no sin. Why? So that we which knew sin could be made the righteousness of God. That's the good news. He died for your sins. Your sin has been paid for. That's the good news. He was buried. That's not really good news. But the good news is that was only for three days, and that's what we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday. He rose again. That's the good news. And Jesus said, you're worried about politics. Get your focus on the gospel. You're worried about who's going to be, who's going to sit in the highest and who's the most powerful and who has the most position in the church. He said, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Forget about all of that and go be witnesses of what you've seen. What did you see? You saw me die. You saw me buried. You saw me rise again. You're witnesses of the gospel. City Baptist Church, the priority of this church is the gospel. Sharing it everywhere you can, in every way you can. We're supposed to be witnesses. As a church, our priority isn't politics, it's the gospel. As a church, our priority isn't social justice, it's the gospel. As a church, our priority isn't self-help programs for Christians, it's the gospel. Uh, now, as citizens, as it's Canadian law infringes on the gospel, yes, there are times to take biblical stands for the gospel. I'm not saying Christians shouldn't or couldn't be involved in politics. I'm not saying you shouldn't vote. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm saying be careful that the priority doesn't usurp the priority of the gospel. Yes, the Bible tells us to pray for our governmental leaders. We should pray for those in power, whether we voted for them or not. And, 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 and that doesn't mean we don't care and we don't read, but everything this church does should point toward the gospel. And the older a church gets, the easier it is to get distracted from that purpose. We start more programs. Every time you're thinking about starting a program in the next five years, how is that fulfilling our purpose for the gospel? Is that helping us share the good news of Jesus with more people? We have a Christian school at our church. I tell our staff, we can't, the, the tail can't wag the dog. The, the main priority of that Christian school is not high academics. Now, that sounds crazy. High academics is a priority, but it's not the priority. And if one thing has to suffer that we are training, we're trying to raise up devoted Christ followers to give their lives to sharing the gospel. And if we have to, if we have to compromise on our spiritual training in order to have high academics, we have lost sight of why that ministry in our church exists. Why do we have all of those things in our churches? Everything you do, if they're not helping us in our efforts to better share the gospel, we should reconsider them. Churches can lose their focus so easily. We turn inward and we look for comfort. He said, be witnesses, and it was outward. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost part of the earth. By the way, that one verse right there is the outline for the whole book of Acts. Chapters 1 through 7 is the gospel going to Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12 is the gospel going to Judea and Samaria. Chapters 13 through 28 is the gospel going to the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus said, this is the purpose, and guess what happened? They followed him, and it happened. The gospel went all. You see the gospel going out, churches naturally turn in. The gospel. Number 4, verse 9, and this is the last thought. The promise of Acts, the promise of the church, his soon return. Verse number nine. And when he had spoken, Jesus, those are the last words he says on earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Get the picture. When you read the Bible, don't just read words on a page. Put yourself there. Here's the picture. 
Jesus died, was buried, rose again. The last month and a half or so, he's been talking, showing himself. He's, he came into the upper room. Thomas is like, man, let me feel that. What's going on? All this stuff's happening. Now Jesus is talking to them, and he says, hey, guys, I am the person of the church. The Holy Spirit is the power of the church. The gospel is the priority of the church. And he's talking to them. And then he's like, I told them enough. It's time for them to get to work. And he goes up to heaven. And here's what, you just imagine it. I picture like, oh, what do we do now? <laughs> I mean, this is how I felt 40 days ago when he died. He came back, everything was cool again. Now what, Peter? I don't know. Go ask somebody else. I already went back fishing. I can't do that. I tried that already. Jesus pursued me. i got to live for him, but I don't, I don't really know. Be witnesses, Jerusalem. I don't want to leave Jerusalem. What does this mean? And they're standing there. And I, I, they're, they're, they're kind of standing there waiting. Like, I picture it like what's because of the way that the, the two men answered. Here's what they say in verse 11. This is why I kind of picture there's fear, there's uncertainty. Verse 11, these two men say, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? What are you staring at? What are you waiting for? What, what, why, what good is this going to do? He, and notice what it says in verse number 11. I love this. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Right there, the promise of he's coming back again. And what does that inherently tell us? If Jesus is coming back, I've got some work to do. Wait a second. He's coming back. He just told us we've got to go be witnesses, but we can't just do it in our neighborhood. It can't just be here. Our, our, our church, our group of body of believers has to reach into our neighborhood and has to reach into our state and has to reach into our country and has to reach into our world we've got some work to do we've got to do something why because he's coming and and the promise of the church is he's coming back again so don't sit around just having fun and making life comfortable do everything you can to tell everyone you can that jesus loves them he's coming again and unless they accept him as their personal savior they'll spend eternity in a place called hell but he died so they could spend eternity in a place called heaven he's coming again the promise of his soon return should change the way we live and operate as, as believers and as right. a church. That's right. That's right. My wife, it doesn't happen too often, but every now and again, my wife has gone to like a ladies meeting or an activity for a couple nights or she'll go up to see her mom. And a few times, a lot of times she takes the kids, a few times she has trusted me with the survival of our children while she leaves. And she'll say, I'm coming back. And you know what? My wife has a very much higher standard of cleanliness than I do. Higher standard of nutrition than I do. Higher standard of everything than I do, really. And the only thing she had low standards in was men. And that's why she married me. But the, uh, my wife, she'll leave. And, and the kids, you know, we're like watching stuff. And dirty laundry's on the ground. And, and dishes are piling up. Don't look at me like that. Some of you guys do the same thing. Dishes are piling up in the sink. And you know what will happen? My wife, she'll say, hey, you know, she might text. Hey, I'll be home in about two hours. Hey, kids, she's coming back. Hey, you go clean up, Titus, you go clean up the, the dishes. Um, Ashlyn, go do the laundry. Um, where, do we have a vacuum? We own a vacuum, right? Somebody, TJ, go, where's your mom keep that vacuum? I don't know what we're doing. And her, the promise of her soon return changes my behavior. Really. The TV goes off. I get up off the couch. We throw away the little Caesars pizza boxes. Like, all of my, my behavior changes. Why? Because she's coming back. By the way, 
Here's the thing. The Bible says he, no man knows the day or the hour. He's not going to tell us when he's coming back. Yeah. So we're supposed to constantly live in light of his return. Yeah. It could be today. Yeah. Titus chapter 2 says that, uh, actually I've got a few verses already. I don't want to jump ahead of them. I think we've got them on the screen so you can see it. Paul wrote uh, to Titus in Titus chapter number 2, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. Notice that it should change our behavior. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous, passionate of good works. What does he say? The promise right in the middle there, the blessed hope and the glorious appearing should change. We should be zealous to do all we can for the sake of the gospel, the promise of his soon return. The truth that Christ returns is a powerful motive and, and purpose to serve him. Second Corinthians chapter 5, Paul wrote to that church, Wherefore we labor, why do we put this work into church like this? That whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to, to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. We persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciousness. Paul is not teaching work salvation. He's not teaching you do these things so you can get to heaven. He says you do these things because you're going to heaven. That's right. And he says, we, knowing the terror of the Lord, the reality is there's a judgment day coming according to the Bible. Knowing that truth, we persuade men. The promise of his soon return, it makes it, this isn't just kind of a fun little social club experiment we tried here in a tap dance studio. No, this is the church of the living God, and we have a purpose, and our priority is the gospel, and we have a promise that he's coming back again, and it could be today. And knowing that, we persuade men. We're passionate. We're willing to sacrifice time and talent and energy and resources, and, and we're willing to give of our and serve within the church. Why? Because he's coming again. Revelation chapter number 22, verse 12, Jesus Christ said, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Because of the promise of Acts, which is right there at the beginning. Hey guys, what are you staring at? You're going to waste your, you're just going to stand here for the next three years, looking up there? It's gone. He's gone. He's coming back. And he just told you what he wanted you to do while he was gone. Go be witnesses. That's the original recipe. That's what the church is supposed to look like. The person of Acts, it's all about Jesus. The power of Acts, it's not you, it's not me. It's not, it's not you know, Pastor Paul's amazing, witty sense of humor. Is that what I was supposed to say, Pastor Paul? <laughs> it's, 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 not, it's, it's not his personality. It's not yours. The power is the Holy Spirit. If I be lifted up, Jesus said, I'll draw them into myself. The priority of the church is not, well, I don't think we have enough programs for my kids. I'm thankful for kids' programs if it helps train them as disciples of Jesus. But the church doesn't exist to make your kids more comfortable or mine. The priority is to share the gospel. And then the promise of the church is coming again. Five years has gone quickly, hasn't it? Before we know it, the history of City Baptist will be a lot longer than that. And either you're, you and I are going to be in heaven or we're going to be dead or Christ will come again. Now is our time. Now is our time. We hope today's message was an encouragement in your relationship with Christ. 
To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Man City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will uniquely bless and